Shut up and sit down. Hello, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got distracted. <laughs> As you're using that 3D dick, man, I, I can't even. I can't. Um, wow. <laughs> it, it's like I haven't seen it a dozen times before. I don't know why suddenly it was just like, it was it was, it was practically hypnotizing. I, 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 can't, I don't even have an excuse. Um, shit, you guys can hear me, right? Okay, okay, I think so. Um, <laughs> tonight we're going to do a trope drift about the mutant AU. Um, I actually have a notebook dedicated already to this idea because I've been um, kind of um, um, noodling my um, my uh, idea for November, which is, this is our theme for November this year. Um, I burned myself on the toaster, and I got this weird kind of like Harry Potter scar on my um, hand now. Anyways, I'm going to put Julie on the air so she can keep me uh, <laughs> so she can keep I just me got on in the chat room. <laughs> I just arrived in the chat room. I, was, I, was I like <sighs> stop. You guys know it's going to be Tyson. That's exactly off the screen. I can't, okay, I'm going to scroll down. I can't deal. <laughs> so, it, it, was, it was hypnotizing. And it was just like, I can't even, I mean, startling. <laughs> but it, like I said, I've seen it before, so it isn't like it's... Um, I haven't. <laughs> really? It's, oh, yeah. No, I I somehow missed it, that. that No, uh, I, I, I'm not feeling thankful, actually. <laughs> I don't need anything that distracting. It's... Okay. I can't even. Okay. No, it's still <laughs> bobbing into the top of this chat window. <laughs> there. Did that help? Yeah, um, it did. I, I can't have I can't have the tip of that dick bobbing into the chat window. I won't be able to concentrate. <laughs> it is a nice dick. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying it's very distracting. I mean, I was just sitting there watching it bob back and forth. For those of you on the podcast listening historically, it's a picture of a, a very large penis um, situated erect. in such a way in in the gift that, yeah, it is very erect, um, that it looks three-dimensional. I mean, it is like, like it's like poking out of your screen, but it's not, obviously. Um, and it's bobbing up and down. It's hypnotic. It's, I. It's moist. <laughs> It's it's that's, that's an excellent word to use for it. It is moist. Um, <laughs> yes, it's, it's, which makes it. I don't know. The reflections make it extra distracting. 
I, and it was, I don't know. I, I think you could actually probably hypnotize somebody with it. I, I feel hypnotized. You know. <laughs> I start clucking like a chicken. Now you'll know why. As if Dick isn't distracting enough. <laughs> what we're going to do is do a trope drift. And one of the things that I've noticed in the, um, and the questions that we're getting for November is that people don't know quite how to approach it. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to do a trope drift where we talk about different ways you can uh, inject a mutant theme into um, fandoms that we all know and love. So yeah, we're going to get started. And we said it before. I mean, I think despite it being said multiple times in multiple places, people still thought think we're talking about X-Men style mutants. Not everybody. People have figured it out, but some people still think we're talking about X-Men. And X-Men is a type of mutant. That universe is a type of mutant. But, you know, mutation could be a lot of different things. It could be mutated through – I mean – Comic books are riddled with examples of different types of mutation, mutation by exposure to radiation, mutation by exposure to acid. I mean, just pick, pick a thing and you get too exposed to that. And you mean, you know, I mean, I guess you could argue um, mutation from animal bite, venom. I mean, pick a thing and there's somebody's mutated from it. So So technically Spider-Man is a mutant. Captain America is a mutant. Um, in the comics, Black Widow is a mutant because she's had the super soldier serum as well. Bucky's a mutant. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody who's the had DC their DNA universe, altered from a normal human would be mutated for the purposes of this challenge. The Joker and the Penguin and the Catwoman are all mutants. Mm-hmm. Superman um, is not a mutant. He He is an alien, but... If Superman had a child with a human, his that child would be that is is not a normal human. So there's there's a degree of mutation there. You you could you, you could you could argue the distinction between no Buffy's not a mutant. Buffy is magically endowed with powers. I wouldn't call Buffy a mutant, would you? I never actually watched Buffy. I, have, well, I, I, have, I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it to make sure I'm not being inconsistent. But Buffy... But I watched the well, movie, and all she did was descend from a whole bunch of other people who hunted vampires, right? No, she was she called was, to be the Slayer. So there's kind of like potential. There's always one, and when one dies, the other one is called. And the whole idea, even in the movie, was to try to find the one who... Um, the one who's currently been called. It was some kind of mystical calling. But in the in the movie, I mean, in the series, they kind of expanded on that in, like, there were potentials, and they they knew who the potentials were. They had some way of identifying the potentials. So uh, depending upon what it was that made a potential a potential, I, I mean, maybe it was a mutation. I think that they said it was something like, wasn't it something to do with demon? Yeah, they're saying that she was imbued with the soul of a demon or the essence of a demon. Well, they're mortal and they're mortal before, but there's still something different about them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to identify that they're potentials. Because 
when they activated all these layers using, using the skies, um, it was the potentials who were activated, not random people. So there was still something different about them, something inert or latent about them that was different. So I guess that would qualify as a mutation because whatever those dirty old men did to that original slayer to imbue her with the essence of a demon changed her and changed, um, I presumably her line for all Which time. Which means she's no longer, she's not quite completely. Human. Yeah. So yeah, that would be mutation. If I was thinking about so, it like being magically imbued with powers, but yeah, if you look at it in the origins of, of the, the whole potential versus getting activated. There was a mystical element there that was a little bit difficult to track, but there, because of the potential thing of some latent thing in their DNA that was lurking that allowed them to be called, then that would be a mutation. Um, John Grimm on Doom is definitely mutantized. Mm-hmm. He's mutantized with alien DNA. Jeff Goldblum in The Fly was definitely mutantized. Um, is there another one? No, those are the two examples that popped up in the chat. Um, I think it's almost a stretch to say that Jack O'Neill and John Shepard and any other um, ATA carrier um, in the SGA universe are not quite human, just by the nature of them having um, Altarian genetics, because the Altarians yeah. are aliens from another. Um, galaxy, and so them coming to Earth and breeding with humans did create a a not quite human situation for all ATA gene carriers. But yeah, it would have that. It's kind of boring. If, if, if you're going to write a mutant AU, write a mutant AU. <laughs> yeah, just go for it because that's taking a sci-fi thing and kind of. I don't know. It, it feels a little bit like a cheat, but on the other hand, you know, but there have been, I've seen some people suggest some things that really explore into like the ATA gene doing something. Um, and I think if you wanted to explore it from that angle, like the ATA gene gets, starts changing people who have the gene or it starts, you know, widespread activation of people who have the gene in a latent way. Um, you could do something with that if you wanted to, but just they're an ATA carrier. You're not, that's not, that's like just writing an X-Men story and not doing anything with it. That's like writing but, a story you know, about, you know, Wolverine. And I mean, technically it's a mutant story, but it's not very interesting. But it's not a mutant AU. Yeah, you're not really creating a character who's going through a mutation or dealing with a mutation because Wolverine always Wolverine was born a mutant. So, um, I think that probably Lantian Legacy qualifies as a mutant AU. I would agree. Yeah, because they all I because mean, you really um, they all you really the significantly change DNA. Them. Yeah, yeah. Buggy Blue John would be if you explored John that if you explored what that blue bug stuff did to John. I think that would be a mutant AU. But you'd have to do more, take it further, take it outside of what we saw in canon. Um, when it comes to the ATA gene or the bug thing, if you're just writing about what, what's already in canon, then you're not you're not stretching into the, the AU. The AU part, yeah. Dark Angel had a lot of mutant um, stuff in it. Elements, yeah, because they were um, all mixed with animals. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, whatever it is that is taking a person and and moving their genetic code away from normal human DNA, whether it's psychic abilities, the ability to talk to the dead, see the dead, for that matter, um, sentinels and guides. I, I mean, it, I think we I think we said you could do sentinel and guide if if you really want to. Although we have had so many opportunities to explore sentinel guide that. Um, you might want to, if you do Sentinel Guide, you might want to consider really pushing yourself with that. Um, I think one way to really but, push yourself with that would be to make Sentinels and Guide purely an ancient thing. Um, and in that, that John and probably Sentinels, but they've never been around a gene carrier that would activate them. But what if John is on the city and Rodney gets the ATA gene and it activates his sentinel genetics. And John wakes up a sentinel and they have to deal with that because suddenly there's a compatible gene carrier around him that could be his guide. Now, we had done a lot of Sentinel Guide fix, but we have never done a November challenge where it was a long Sentinel Guide challenge. We've always done short story Sentinel Guides in the little black dress. Yeah. And if that idea inspires one of you, please feel free to use it. It doesn't have to be John. I mean, it could be, you know, it could be Jack. It could be, it could be set in SG-1 where um, when Daniel descends, he suddenly has the ATA gene. And when Daniel comes back, Jack O'Neill comes online as a sentinel. You do something. What if, what if there are, what if there have always been latent sentinels, but not online sentinels? Um, because there are no guides anymore. Because maybe the um, maybe the, let's say the ancients felt like there was a um, it, the, the sentinel guide bond, the distraction of guides or whatever was a hindrance to um, ascension. So they blocked the guide gene, and so sentinels stopped coming online. They became dormant, became a dormant genetic trait because there were no guides. Um, and what if Daniel's ascension, deascension, they aren't paying attention and they break that they break that seal on Daniel's genetics and all of a sudden there's an online guide on Earth. It'd be catastrophic. Yeah. You could start having sentinels waking up. And that could Daniel could um I'm trying to think if there's a way they could like either there's definitely some way to block to, to remove the block on the guide's genetics. It would be catastrophic generally because you wouldn't want all those sentinels waking up if a guide wasn't waking up too. The guys weren't waking up too. But anyway, I'm not particularly interested in writing that idea. I'm just throwing that out there. So if anybody finds that particularly inspiring, but go for it. What if Daniel was found on another planet? What if when Jack goes through the gate, he comes online as a sentinel, and they realize or Carter realizes that it's because of Daniel. So Daniel and Jack wouldn't be allowed to come back to Earth. 
Maybe there's a history of sentinels and gods on Earth that they're no longer, and they're afraid if they bring Daniel back that he might bring other sentinels online. In the end, you could also do it with McKay, that McKay can't come back to Earth because there are no other guides, and the SGC doesn't know how to introduce the ATA gene therapy into the population to find other guides so Rodney can't come back to Earth because they don't want him waking up other sentinels. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. There was, um, as I say, Lady Raw wrote, uh, Lady Raw did write, she wrote a story called The Sentinel School Verse, um, where mm-hmm. when you, when, when they, when you had, there weren't really, I think the only guide really that people knew of was Blair. Um, but when there was a get what they called the gathering of sentinels, the sentinels had to come first and they had to come together. And I want to say it was five, if they got five in one place that the guides would start coming online and feeling an inexplicable pull to where the sentinels were. Um, mm-hmm. I and that was a, it, was, it was fascinating. I thought it was fascinating world building um, that she did with that. It was an interesting idea that, you know, there aren't any guides online. Um, and maybe sentinels and avoid, maybe it was sort of a fa- like a, like a catch 22. Like, well, the guides will come online if the sentinels, all gather, but they're biologically geared towards not gathering. Um, that an unbonded sentinel is more likely to want to guard its territory or something like that. Anyway, so you could do something interesting as that where, like maybe as a result of the Stargate program, um, the sentinels have to deal with each other. And it creates a, a gathering of some sort. Of course, you have to credit Lady Raw for inspiration credit, but you know it's, it's an interesting idea of one or the other side coming together. In numbers awakens the other side. But if the ancients are interfering and preventing guys from coming online because they've suppressed those genetics, it'd be really interesting to see um, what kind of catalyst it would take to um, activate those genetics. In um, Sentinels of Atlantis, I used um, ancient technology to activate um, the guides because the guides are um, basically Earth's ultimate defense against the race. Mm-hmm. Because in Sentinels of Atlantis, the, the, the Sentinels' whole purpose is to protect the guide because the guide can kill race. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can do a lot of interesting things with a long format that you can't do in a short story format. So if you want to do a Sentinel and Guide AU, um, dig deep right into in the mutation there. part in November. Yeah, and get it really into the world building side of it. You know, what's different about this Sentinel and Guide thing and because um, I had plotted, well, I, I plotted most of, I saw some plotting elements not, it was actually one of my considerations for November was the Star Trek Sentinel Guide AU um, where the, the, when Vulcan is destroyed, that it brings, it, it wakes, it causes such ripples in the psionic ener- energy currents throughout the universe that it wakes up Sentinels on Earth who have been gone for a long time, hundreds of years they've been gone. Actually, they left Earth. Um, so I, I don't have that. There's still that I don't have the end completely plotted yet. But um, I considered that for November. 
but I'm feeling a little fried on Sentinel Guide stuff. Um, so I'm reluctant to do, even though I would love to do a long story, Sentinel Guide story, a long form Sentinel Guide story. I only have two stories that have potential for April and one of them is Sentinel Guide. <laughs> so um, <laughs> if I, if I, work on the two stories I'm already in progress on, at least two in progress on the Sentinel Guide front. Plus, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot and take one of my April stories out of contention. <laughs> so I'm worried about burning myself out completely on that. On that. I mean, I told so you April once I could never have too much Sentinel Guide. Right? right, and I only have April two stories I could possibly do a 30K sequel to. And one of them is all your reasons. Everything there's only two stories that even have any potential for me to write a sequel to that's not already in progress. That's the issue. Ah, oh, already be. in progress. Yeah, that's a problem for me too because you guys might have noticed from last night that I do have quite um, a large list of works in progress. <laughs> I think I decided. I, I, I think I was um, uh, kind of waffling between um, human nature and the air that angels breathe, but. If I do an all-in mutant AU for November, which I'm going to, I might not be wanting to write another mutant AU in April. So, um. yeah, I mean, and sometimes mm. you just don't want to write the same theme and like two challenges in a row or something. I don't know, but also because I'm trying to finish up, I'm trying to finish up, done for the man and stick around the sequels to both. Um, and then I have other Sentinel Guide stories that I have sequels in progress on. Um, and plus, like I said, one of the only two stories, I have only two stories possible that I could do a sequel to in April. And one of them is a Sentinel Guide story. So, I mean, I'm, I'm leaning toward the other story anyway, but I think adding another Sentinel Guide verse into, into November, although I could write a really long sequel to something in November rather than starting a new verse, but I would really want to explore that because I want to explore the mutation angle really heavily. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I think the only thing I have that would really have a strong mutation angle would be one, the same one that's eligible for November for, for April. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't like having a choice of one. I don't like having my choices for, you know, I, I don't like a choice of one because that's my yeah. choice. <laughs> Honestly, I have a lot of options. I could do a sequel to Subtle Body. Um, I could do a sequel to What Lovers Do, which is very tempting, I must must say. Um, um, I could do a sequel to uh, Blank Space. Wasn't Iterum Iterum on your list? Iterum. Iterum is on my list. I have big plans for Iterum. I'm not sure my sequel at 30K really serves my story. And I don't want to go into April with the goal of 50 to 100K. But Iterum is on the list. So it just, it just depends on um, my, my plot work for that series. Because I do have sequels plotted. Um, and I could replot and, and do a shorter. So, you know, it just depends. Um Human nature, the air that angels breathe. Um, I could write a sequel in The Ring of Fire because I don't have a, um, the second story planned. I have it planned, but I haven't written it. Um, I I did briefly consider um, the sequel 
to The Awakening, which I plotted and never wrote, but it's 100K too. <laughs> easily. Um, easily 100K. Uh, so, yeah. Any of my Alpha Chronicle stories. Yeah, some of my, I mean, there are, uh, the, the word count thing became a big issue because a lot of my um, Sentinel stories could have a sequel, but I wouldn't want to commit to a 30K sequel on them. That's the issue. Um, right. And I do want to so, say in word count for April because I've got, um, I'll be baiting my um, my bang. Um, and I, I <laughs> yeah, I want to stick close to 30K if I can. And the only one of my two, there's only one of the two that's close to 30K. Um, so my choice is, my, my two choice. The other, the other thing is that I could wind up writing a story between now and then that gets a sequel. But, <laughs> but do keep in mind uh, that, for November that we, we are doing um, a, a house challenge, basically. Um, you don't have to do 50K. Um, you can do 25 if if you want to be a Gryffindor, um, and you can do 100K if you want to be a Ravenclaw. <laughs> I so, forgot about so, that that you can that we had four levels. Yeah. I forgot how did I yeah. forget about that? I know exactly. I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, so our levels for November, and the reason I did this is because um, I want to honor the National Novel Writing Month, which is 50K. But I also need to acknowledge that there are some people who just don't feel comfortable with that as a goal. And the whole point of National Novel Writing Month beyond the 50K is to encourage writers and to to encourage good writing habits. So um, I think from now on, even though I've been a slave to the 50K rule for going on 20 years, that we're going to keep the uh, levels for November every year. So we'll be doing the house challenge every year, no matter what the theme is. So our minimum is 25K, and there is no maximum, but the maximum goal that you can sign up for is 100. Now, I would usually just go all in and say I'm going to sign up for 100, but I'm actually – I would. my goal is not to have another epic that I am not going to finish with by the end of the month. Um so I'm I'm very carefully going to carefully consider my plot and and try to decide how long it's going to be, and I'm hoping that I'll come up with a. I'm actually hoping that I'll come up with a plot that's 50k and I'll sign up as a Hufflepuff. But if the plot realistically, I'm going to Hufflepuff it. Sign up at 75. You're going to Hufflepuff it. I'm going to Hufflepuff it. I'm going to Hufflepuff it. Yeah. I, I just I don't want to come out of another challenge not done. Um. I, I did a far, again, so. I did a five part structure in my plot, um, and um, I'm going to do a threesome. It's going to be John, Miko, and Rodney, um, and uh, it's um, going to be told in a mixed format. Uh, and I'm a little nervous about it, but the whole point of November for me is to challenge myself. So um, I uh, I want to. Um, to, to, to really kind of stretch my my skills as a writer in November. So um, I, I'm definitely going to Hufflepuff it. That's my goal. <laughs> and Hufflepuff is 50K, Slytherin is 75, and Ravenclaw is 100, and Gryffindor is 25. And the reason we came up with those particular um, choices 
for the workout is that uh, Gryffindor is going to do the minimum they have to because they'd rather play. Hufflepuff is going to follow the rules, which is National Robin, Robin, National, Robin, National Novel Writing Minds. It's 50K. Slytherin's ambitious to 75, and Ravenclaw can't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to be honest. I can write a epic like nobody's business. You might have noticed, but I'm gonna I'm gonna Hufflepuff it this year. I'm gonna try to be realistic about my word count, and I will. I, obviously, I have to just, I have to figure this out before I sign up. But I'm hoping that I get this plot at 50k. That so I come look at the plot and I go at 50k. But if I look at the plot and I think it's 75, then I'll sign up for 75. But if I look at the plot and I see 100k, it, that's going to be a two-parter. <laughs> It's going to be two separate stories because I don't want to commit to 100K when I'm going to have family here half the month. Um, I'm going to, you know, uh, we've got on a bang stuff going on. I've got multiple stories in process. So I just don't want to commit to, because I know if I start another, another epic in November, I'm going to come out of another November with a story that's not finished. And I've had two Novembers in a row, maybe three Novembers in a row of stories that didn't get finished. And it's just, I don't want to, I don't, that's just frustrating me. So, no. I'm going to call, I think I'm going to call mine the Midway Accord because they're going to meet in the middle to have a conversation um, that's going to be um, arbitrated by the Asgard. Um, so I am pretty deep, I'm deep into my plot. Um, and I have decided that it will be an intentional IOA plot that, experimented on the entire um, uh, population of Atlantis, and it inadvertently caught the crew of the Daedalus as well. Um, I'm going to use one of my characters that I created for Hold My Coffee, which is... What is his name? The Canadian. I cast the guy from... William Bouchard. He's going to be um, Caldwell second in command on the Daedalus. Um, I'm just I'm really looking forward to it. And so um, I'm on the fence about making them blue. I don't know. Well, blue is a great color. <laughs> blue is an excellent color. Um, so I'm on the fence about it. Uh, let me tell you why I'm on the fence about it. <laughs> I'm on the fence about it because I'm having a hard time figuring out how to make my characters look blue in the art. But not like I can I can do the whole picture in blue, which is okay, but I can't make my characters blue by themselves. And I've tried several times and I find it really annoying. Um, so who knows? I might be able to blue your characters up in Photoshop. I've done this we'll, before. We I just shall try done it so long. I just haven't done it in so long that <laughs> eh. Sometimes you just have to go back and go. Well, how did I do that again? I made I made somebody purple once, so I know I've done it. Uh, just just their skin too, not anything else. Um, I just have to remember how to do it. So anyway, so I think I I'm still right now. Um, my plan is still to do the Century story um, where Tony is Stephen Rogers' grandfa- grandson. It's like grandfather. No, he's his grandson. Um, and mostly because that's mostly plotted. Um, I still have a couple of 
I still have some work to do on the plot, but um, I have the, at least have the rough outline of it. So, um, and I still like the idea. I just, hmm, just some issues. So, um, I don't really have, I mean, I had a kind of a vague, a couple of vague ideas, but nothing that I've spent any time on because I've been busy with other stuff. So, yeah. But I do want to mutant Tony up, and that makes it a challenge. Tony Denozo, by the way. Because um, I have been running Tony Stark quite a bit lately, so I'm, I'm at the point now I have to clarify that. It used to be if I was ever talking about a Tony, it was Tony Denozo. But I do want to mutant Tony up, and that kind of is on topic of the podcast in that, you know, how do you bring a mutant stuff to, especially to a non-mutant universe? Um you know, what are the mutation tropes and what would that look like? And um, yeah, the, the, the universes that have mutation in them already are pretty straightforward um, in terms of, you know, if you, if you want to do something in the X-Men universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you've got lots of um, templates for how to do mutation in those universes. Um, hmm. um, so let me think. I lost. There's, there's a jump in the chat room at the end, so I don't keep losing it. What's everybody been saying? <laughs> well, that doesn't sound like procrastination to me. Right. Claire has finished her bang. She's plotted her nano. And she's commissioned art. And now she's thinking about April. But she's procrastinating. I don't know what you're procrastinating about. But it's not it's not your writing. And don't go to Azure's corner either. Because that's too much fun for you. You go sit in the <laughs> corner where Ellie usually sits. <laughs> well... She might need some fun corner. It sounds like she needs a break. <laughs> Go look at the porn. <laughs> um, I've not done any of these. I don't know. I'm sure. Oh, you mean well, she, she hasn't finished her bang? She hasn't plotted her nano or commissioned art? <laughs> but yeah, she's I'm, close. I am almost finished with my bang, and I have plotted my November. Um, I have not commissioned art. Um, so yeah, I know desert. I know desert poet's almost done with her. Um, her bang. But, you know, we have 80, how many participants in um, the Quantum Bay? 80. 82, 82 writers, I think, right now. 82 writers. Um, if even a fourth of those finish, we're going to have some awesome stuff to read. <laughs> I'm really Yeah, excited. I mean, yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> I was I was optimistically hoping we would get, you know, when I, when I did this, I was like, wouldn't it be great? Because our posting period 
we made the calendar before we did almost anything else because I had to figure out. I did, the reason I did the calendar first is because we had to figure out how to get it in around rough trade events. Yeah. And yeah. Um, there's a two week posting window, and I was hoping to have a story to post every day. Well, with 82 signups, I really, really now I really hope we have a story to post every day, or that's going to be an epic dropout rate, <laughs> right? But I mean, if if multiple, I mean, we'll have multiple. I mean, I mean, if, if half or quarter or however many people finish, we'll post multiple stories a day. However many need to happen to get them all out in the two-week posting window, because there has to be that two weeks of you know the reading period, the quiet period before July rough trade starts. So it can't right. it can't go on all month, which is why I, we picked know, a two-week posting window. I'm very proud of my story. I'm almost done. I am. Very proud of it. I'm proud of it in the way that I was proud of No Enemy Within when I finished it. Um, and I do think that Lantian Legacy, um, both stories are probably the best work that I have on my site. Uh, although I think Courting Hermione Granger is pretty close as well as far as like craft perspective goes. Um, I love all my work, obviously, but because um, they're all my word babies, but I do play favorites. Uh, I think the construction of No Enemy Within is is beautiful. I I'm, sometimes when you when you when you just hit it and you know it, you're like hell yeah, right? Well, I'm not finished with my bang, but I'm already saying hell yeah. <laughs> and you know it's 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 nice. And, yeah, and it's it's great. It's 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 a really good story. But my plot is tight. My characterization is 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 good. It's interesting. Um, I've uh, I just I like it a lot. I hope you guys like it as well. It is a bit different. Yeah, than I love it. Pack. It is a little different from your usual, but um, I think people are going to really enjoy it. So. Um, Lady Holder loves it. <laughs> And in the end, that's all that matters. <laughs> um, I did have to do a big-ass timeline for Stargate um, where I listed all the episodes and made my own commentary about each one. Um, if you're writing in Stargate, and you need an episode breakdown that's really sarcastic and probably not as useful as, to you as it, it is me, let me know. I'll be happy to share it with you as a document because I amuse myself if nothing else. Yeah. Some, um, when it comes to, you know, like trying to make, um, some things into a mutant. When I was working on ideas, I had I had what I thought was a really solid idea in the DC extended universe. Um, and I have a really hard, I don't have a problem overlaying like MCU over NCIS or whatever. Um, NCIS, any of the procedurals or the criminal minds, anything like that. It doesn't, but for some reason, my brain hiccups on DC. Um, it, I, my brain hiccups 
on something like super, it is, this isn't specifically related to the, the supernatural. I mean, to the mutant challenge, but on something like supernatural, um, laying that over something, and I think it's because, well, I don't think it's well. DC, this is probably a little bit me being super, um, a little bit rigid about canon. Is I struggle with the fake cities and stuff in the DC universe. And Marvel just didn't bother with that crap, right? They just used New York. <laughs> um, right. I mean, they may have, And even though I think that we cities. all intellectually know that Gotham is Chicago, um, right? Well, Gotham and um, Metropolis are across. I always thought Metropolis is New York. But Gotham and Metropolis are across a river from each other. Um, really? I can't, I can't quite make sense of that geography actually so um but yeah and when i was younger i always thought of gotham as either detroit or chicago uh, i don't know what its parallel was supposed to be um okay the batman artist neil adams um patterned gotham after chicago chicago and metropolis was clearly modeled after new york uh why they couldn't just use Chicago and New York is beyond all of us. I, we don't know. Uh, but it's just, it's, just, it's a thing because it's like, it, in my brain, I, I just, I feel like it's like putting more work on myself to try to make the DC universe fit, and it just frustrates me. Um, whereas I just, when I'm fusing something like MCU into um, – like NCIS, I just, you pretend like all that MCU stuff was there all along. The S.H.I.E.L.D. has been there all along, you know, that, that on some level, you know, other federal agencies are aware of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, some agents have had encounters with S.H.I.E.L.D., maybe have been recruited by S.H.I.E.L.D. Iron Man just happens to exist. He's like the superhero celebrity kind of thing. Um but DC is always a little bit, this has been a struggle for me because I'm like, well, where does Metropolis and those shenanigans fit in? Superman? Superman's an alien, you know? So, uh, it's, a, it's just a, it, it's just a bigger stretch. And it's more work. So I just had to quite <laughs> reconcile that. I don't like the DC universe as much as I like the MCU, to be honest. Um, would you get the whole, I like woman? the MCU. Yeah, on the and Aquaman. Um, I, I haven't seen Aquaman yet, yet but, I, but I don't care. It, it'd be like Tarzan. Was enough for me. It'd be like Tarzan, right? We, we don't go for the plot. <laughs> no, no, that, and and King Kong Skull Island and Tom Hiddleston. We go for the T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. And what's inside it? What what the T-shirt was wearing? Um, the perfect T-shirt. But DC is just, I've also, I mean, also DC is a lot darker, um, is a lot darker universe. And I tend to shy away from, you know, the kind of the Batman-esque levels of angst don't really appeal to me in general. Um, Metropolis is in Kansas? In Smallville, yeah. In fact, Metropolis is like, you can see Metropolis from Smallville. Well, that's in a TV show. In the DC Extended Universe, they're across a the river from each other. That's not Kansas and Chicago. I don't know where it is. 
picking up. So it's like, I don't know. It's one of the, it's one of those weird things that it's just, it's a little bit more work to work with. And sometimes I still want to try to bend my brain to figure that shit out. Um, it's the same. And like, when it comes to something like, like the supernatural universe, something like that, one of the reasons why I don't write like any, I would, I would not write a supernatural canon into fuse it into any law enforcement procedural it's because all the cops have to be fucking idiots to live super in a idiot where where the supernatural <laughs> exists to that degree and somehow nobody knows if i wrote so, india is and supernatural together tony genoza would totally know about the demons otherwise i'd be making him an idiot a blind idiot so uh, yeah, no, I just, I can't write him being unobservant, <laughs> especially since I think that's practically his superpower. <laughs> um, but anyway, I've had this idea around the mother boxes when they activated on earth that they unlocked, um, like dormant stuff and, in, in a lot of different people. Um, and so there was some fallout from, uh, the Justice League stuff with the mother boxes that had to be dealt with, with basically, you know, dormant genetics waking up in people and, and making them different. Uh, but then I was like, oh, God, DC, <laughs> Metropolis and Gotham. I still want to. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I, I agree, Claire. Actually, if it gives existed in a world where there were demons he could go and do a deal with over Shannon Kelly's death, he'd have been doing that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yep. He'd have been 100% all in. So it, some, some level of some universes, universes that are just kind of, it's really a lot easier to take, to me, a universe like MCU and overlay it over you know pick your pick your poison whether it's criminal minds or bones or whatever if you need to drop the mcu on top of that without a lot of fuss then to drop um something like dc or even um and when i say mcu i'm specifically talking about just the cinematic universe not including the x-men because the cinematic universe did exclude the x-men and it is really easy uh, for, for that reason because mutants already being a thing changes the landscape of any law enforcement procedural. If there's an isolated, you know, inhuman here or there, it doesn't really change the landscape of law enforcement that much because it's a new thing. But if mutants have been around and emerging in greater and greater numbers, and there's already been attempts at legislation to control them and all of that ugliness then you've got that's a little bit different that's a little bit harder to make work in in a law enforcement not impossible but it's harder to make work in a law enforcement you know crime in a crime drama um because it would change you'd have to reconstruct your universe where mutants had existed already existed and what the impact was on law enforcement on law enforcement for your show Whatever. But when you've just got really isolated things and for the most part it's a big shadowy secret that S.H.I.E.L.D. is managing, it doesn't necessarily change the landscape of your show very much. 
so you can bring that that you know you can bring that comic book overlay and fuse it into the world you're working with without a lot of fuss. Um, so, I mean, when they when I realized at first there were going to be no mutants in the MCU, I was like sad. But from a fan fiction perspective, it actually makes things a lot easier. But I also think that. Um, it's disingenuous to say for Marvel to say there are no mutants in the MCU when there clearly are. Bruce Banner's a mutant. But they can't call... Right, they they can't can't use the word mutant. Well, they can't use mutants as it pertains to the X-Gene. Right. So they could say somebody has had a mutation, but they cannot call them a mutant. What they did is they took that people who've evolved, who have mutated, and called them inhumans. Um, Bruce and and all anybody with super soldier serum has had a mutation, but they don't have the X gene. They can't have the X gene. Um, so that was the case of using mutants specifically as it refer, referred to the X Men, the X gene thing. Because um, I mean, the idea yeah. for me when I first heard about the MCU and they weren't going to have the X gene stuff, I was like, how can you have the MCU without the X Men? I don't understand. But now that it's not there, we've gotten used to that. Um, I think really as is. a fan fiction writer, I would use the X gene and the mutants as I wanted to, because <laughs> I don't have to adhere to Sony's <laughs> drama. Yeah, you can if you want to, but I mean, I'm just saying that from a from a fusing the MCU into other universes, not having the X gene be a thing and a well known thing actually makes it easier. Wouldn't it be cool because if the X gene is actually the ATA gene? That would be fun. And you could do an X gene, you know, slash X-Men AU with Stargate or whatever. That would totally be within the bounds of the challenge. Yeah, when I made John a mutant in um, the the air, the angels breathe. You know, Rodney's a mutant too. Um, it kind of is a, a X Men fusion, um, an unlabeled X Men fusion, because um, Patrick Shepard, uh, you know, went all out to prevent the legislation that almost passed in the X Men universe at least in the one movie that I watched. I never watched all the movies and didn't read the comic books. Um, to protect his son, um, who um, um, he mutated um, spontaneously as a child. Uh, so, um, he had a leap in his evolutionary development and grew wings. If you could have one mutation, what would it be? Well, what would you pick? Yeah, you yeah. Um, Who else am I talking to? Also in the chat room. Oh, you could be talking in the chat room. It could have been a, it could have been a, just a food for thought rhetorical question. Um, like just one power, not like multiple powers like the Phoenix has. Or, you know, if you wanted to pick the powers of an individual, sure, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um... I I would probably be I would probably want Jean Grey's powers then if I could just pick the powers of an individual just one it'd be her, um, 
I'd pick Mystique, just actually. One, yeah. Just one ability, I think... I think I'd probably pick telepathy. Um, but, I mean, I, so this is the case, but Magneto's abilities, the ability with, mag, uh, with metal is pretty close behind it. I, found, I always found Magneto's abilities to be fascinating. I like the idea of shape-shifting. It appeals to me. I'm getting some interesting answers in the chat Teleportation. Room. Uh, to be, to be able to ability to face through walls or turn invisible. But one thing about mutation is I wouldn't want anybody to ever know about it. Because it would be dangerous, yeah. right? To have to be able to do something and, you know, you would never be free. Yeah. The, That's why I wouldn't want teleport. something. Yeah, you wouldn't want something like... Um, um, wings if you were trying to stay under the radar. Telekinesis would be pretty awesome, I think. Yeah. But I'm a lazy ass who currently wants some cookies. So. <laughs> yeah, it's like, come here, cookies. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be like, it. telekinesis, I want never... to be a Harry Potter wizard. <laughs> but I can do all that shit. Well, there wasn't a lot of trade-off for Wolverine on the healing front. So. I think Wolverine's trade-off was terrible, actually. He outlived everybody he Yeah. Yeah. He continues through his whole life. That whole long-lived thing is really only appealing when you're writing a character who has a partner who's long-lived. Right. So, if only golden apples were a real thing, you could make them a real thing. I mean, it can be your mm-hmm. thing. You can figure out. I mean, there's so many keys to immortality. So many potentials for immortality in these shows, in these shows and um, movies, books. I mean, you could do the whole. In the MCU, you've got extremists. You've got the super soldier serum. You've got um, potentially golden apples if you wanted to bring them in. Um, but uh, I was reading a really cute Tumblr thing where um, it was like, uh, imagine if vampires could share their immortality with with one individual, and a vampire fell in love with a woman or a, a you know a person, and the person asked them to share their immortality with them because they want to be with them forever, and the vampire says, "Well, I can't. I've already shared it." And the person is like, "With who?" And he said, "My cat." <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Look, your pet loves you unconditionally. <laughs> they don't care if you have a bad hair day, if you gain 20 pounds, or your ass falls, or, you know, they don't give a shit. They love you. They love your ass. So I'm like, yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> The thing is, the whole the whole idea of there's so many inherent flaws. The idea of you can only share your immortality with one person. Well, I guess hmm, I guess you could work it out. But oh, for starters, there'd be a lot of assholes who'd be hedging their bets. It's like, well, I like you a lot, 
But I feel like I kind of need to be sure that something better doesn't come off. <laughs> well, in that um, case, I mean, if you're if that immortal is in that position where they say, well, you know, you're maybe not the best I could get, then they aren't in love. Right, obviously. If it's truly a gift, you can that, only give to somebody that you deeply love, or in maybe your pet. Um, <laughs> it, it, it it is a immense decision. It's it's but ride or die. Is, you, <laughs> you buy you you share your gift in mortality with somebody, and you give them this gift. Now you're locked in. You have no more options, but they have an option. <laughs> They can share well, their gift of immortality with somebody. <laughs> what if they, they can, can leave your ass and find someone better? What if the only way they can share that immortality is a continuous personal connection? And if that connection is broken, then they can share that immortality with somebody else. Well, that's a, that'd be a way to solve it. Yeah, that way you can ensure that. Uh, because really, I mean, that would be if if it's like a vampire bite or something, right? And you can only like make one child. Except we wouldn't call them a child because that's squeaky, squeaky, you know, squeaky incest vibes. Um, you can only make one partner, but your partner now could go make a partner, which means you they, you can't really find somebody else, but they could find. But actually, you could write an interesting story about that, like two vampires or something who've been thrown over for by their lover who got tired Chosen. of them and went off to make a new par- new partner. Um, Anyway, so we were tropes. Uh, did we? How many? How many mutant? We didn't really talk a lot about specific mutant tropes, but we covered some. Actually, we did kind of touch on quite a few. We shouldn't call them out by name. Like this is the kind of mutation it is. We talked a little bit about recessive genetics. That's the ATA gene. Um. I'm blanking. We talked about like X gene, which is really obvious. Spider bite. All the DC people. Now, as I recall, by our our criteria, Wonder Woman qualifies because she's half. She's a demigod. She's right. She's right. So you could say half human, half extra. <laughs> Half extra, yeah. Half extra. But it could be, it could be, it could be half something else, or just something that they have different. Like that's what the exposure thing is. They become something else through exposure. Um, and like you could have, you know, like magic. We said not no magic, but if somebody is mutated by exposure to magic, that could be a valid mutation. Like. Um, What's the story? What's the show that I'm, I'm blanking on shows that use magic outside of Harry Potter? Uh, Charmed. Charmed. Buffy used magic. Sabrina the teen, Teenage Witch. Let's say you did a Buffy thing where um, whatever the rituals they did or something to close the hell mouth started causing mutations in the people who were. Even in, in maybe within a few hundred miles of there, 
the magical discharge of the hell mouth closing started causing people to change. That wouldn't be magic. That would be mutation as a result of magic. Although you could even maybe not call, call it um, magic. You could also call it demonic energy, but whatever. Six of one, half of another. <laughs> um, where will um, count for our the purpose of our story, our, our story, or this challenge? Nowhere where um, no vampires. But who's that guy with the head that's on fire um, with the motorcycle? Ghost Rider. Um, he makes a deal with the yeah. devil, doesn't he? And becomes yes. something. He becomes something. <laughs> now, Ghost Rider. The Dresden Files. Yes. Which I find to be utterly bizarre when I'm walking by. Because I don't watch um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore. I watched it for the first two seasons, but I got bored. And I'm walking by the living room one day. And my sister, I'm like, and I'm seeing Phil, Phil Coulson and a flaming skull. And I'm like, is that Ghost Rider? And she said, yes. And I was like, I don't want to know. Just don't. <laughs> don't. Don't even, I, 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 I no. <laughs> was, Dresden Files, what was the, uh, I haven't seen the Dresden Files in so long. What was the mutation, was there a mutation there? No, he was just a, ma- he was just a wizard. Just, I thought it was just magic use. Which which would not qualify for the um, challenge. Um, <laughs> Claire. <laughs> Claire says, if someone summoned a demon and they made a lake full of mutation juice and everyone who came into contact with it mutated. <laughs> mutation juice oh. is probably the best thing I've heard all day. <laughs> it's pretty great. I did a thing in um, uh, my July um, gravity in, in gravity with um, Harry and Hermione, where Hogwarts was built on a lake, a magical lake of a ley lake, L E Y lay, full of magical energy. And if Voldemort Voldemort's reason for wanting Hogwarts is so that he can control that lake, so he could corrupt all the magic on Earth. Well, if what if um, uh, some kind of Harry Potter wizard did control, did get access to a large lake like that, and they did something to it, and it drenched the whole planet in magic, and it caused mutations. That would be interesting. That'd be, and again, that would be not giving people magic because that would be magic. Um, but magic causing mutations, because um, I think it'd be a reasonable thing if you maybe if you expose, because you expose people to any kind of energy and things start happening with their cells for long, protracted periods of time. Um, so you could, which is the principle I use for the awakening in um, Sentinels of Atlantis with the psionic energy bathing the planet for 24 hours. Yeah. So you could, that you, I think you have a good foundation with the idea that like a high concentration of magical exposure to people who are not magical, that it might not, it's not going to give them a magical core, but it might do other things to them. And the nature of that thing would be, of course, dealer's choice. What do you want to happen? 
Do you want psychic gifts to start popping up? Do you want... Um, special abilities, like maybe isolated things that wizards can do with magic, people can do like that one thing, like apparition, like that. they would call it teleportation. Um, you could actually have that be the origins of the X-Gene. I'm reading some comments in the chat room. Someone says, what if the Stargate gives off mutant radiation that has an effect on the plants and water, the whole water table, because it enters the ocean. So it starts affecting people born after the gate starts being used regularly. Huh. Yeah, I agree, Kira. It would mean that every planet in the galaxy where there was a Stargate would have this going be full on. of mutants. Mm-hmm. But moreover, the the gate was used regularly in Egypt before it was buried, and it was also used by the ancients in Antarctica before Atlantis left. So there would already be a whole bunch of mutants on Earth um, through breeding. It would uh, it would mean the the ancients were mutants since they were right before SG one ever starts using the gate. So you would have to account for that. Um, the gay gate, yeah, absolutely. Um, but what you could say is that the DHD actually inhibits the ability for the gate to mutate, and because the because Stargate Command doesn't use a DHD, that the gate isn't being regulated properly. Yeah, what if it's not the Stargate itself, but it's the wormhole? And the DHD and because filters DH- out whatever that radiation is. So it starts the, mutating the, people in the mountains, and then it starts mutating people in Colorado, and then it spreads. Yeah, I think you'd have to have it be the wormhole itself and not the gate. And I like the idea that the DHD itself, the DHD was designed not just to power, but to maybe it's powered on the radiation that the wormhole gives off. Maybe that's why the crystals the power in those DHDs is so long is because it's being powered, it's being recharged every time the wormhole activates. Um, Huh, that's interesting. And they don't use the DHD, so all of that radiation or whatever whatever type of radiation it is is just leaking out into the mountain, and these people are carrying it around. And they're passing it to their kids. They're passing it. They're, it's, it's, it's leaving their body through waste. It's entering the water supply. Like I said, I don't think you can have the radiation come from the gate itself because the gate has been all over the place. And if the gate itself was radioactive, it would have been being a problem in all of the For the Egyptians. Ascended bimbos. <laughs> uh, but, you 
know, it, it's interesting to explore, but you have to be careful of your ripples. It's really important when you look at things like making the gate, uh, uh, the gate itself a source of mutation, that you acknowledge that the gate was unburied, but that it was also in Egypt for a very long time, and it was used by Ra. It was used by the people on Abydos. It was available in Abydos. Um, so you have to account for that. You can't just yeah, say that the gate the- on Earth is certain, just suddenly mutating people without acknowledging that that gate exists on other planets. What's different about Earth that would make it happen? And if John could have activated it in the chair, then why didn't Jack O'Neill? It's one of those things. I see people throwing big ripples into the into the canon backstory. And then not a big ripples, big a big folder into a canon backstory, and then not changing the canon events. So it's sort of like um, let's say that you had Tony always knowing that Ziva was passing on NCIS information. What let's say you decide he knew from the jump, and your story is set when that espionage comes out. Um, but Tony didn't do anything with that information. And so Cannon proceeded to pace, but he always knew. That is a huge... So Tony's an accessory to treason. Right. So you've, that's a huge boulder to throw into the backstory of your story. Tony already knew. You know, and, and, and having it come out just in like a casual way, like Tony's just sitting in an interrogation room, oh, yeah, I knew she was passing information on to Mossad. And it's clear your story that nothing in the seasons leading up to season six are any different than they were in canon. So you have this huge boulder you've thrown into the past of the story, and there's no ripples from it. Tony knew, but he didn't do anything. Okay, well, you've just said something really awful about Tony. I actually read a story about that recently where it was this epic change for this one character. Um and it comes out in this oh-so-casual way. It's like, oh, I already knew that. But canon, up to the point of where that reveal happened, hadn't changed at all. There was no difference in, in the, the two or three years of canon up to that point. And yet this character's just kind of like, oh, yeah, I already knew. It's like, you did? Well, <laughs> so all of these years of trying to stop this thing that, you know, I mean, it was just like, and you already knew? You already knew the solution? That's really strange. It would be sort of like, like um, Hermione knowing about the Horcruxes in the first year and not bothering to tell anybody. Right. You just can't. You, and then you get to, and she knew and didn't do anything of that knowledge. And you get to, you know, you're in season, you're in book seven, writing your story in book seven, and she just casually reveals she knew and never did anything of that knowledge. And that's so you don't have to deal with canon changes of her knowledge. Um, some changes just are not practical. They just don't work. Um, and some changes, you can throw some boulders into a pond. But like, let's say you want to throw that boulder into the NCIS pond, uh, and you don't want Tony to be a, tra- a tra- you know, traitor. He, Ziva, he has to do something about Ziva right away. That's the only way. The, you either don't do it, you don't make the change, don't have him know. Or you have them do something about it, and then you're and I can I I feel the response, responses. But then I can't write my story. Well, your story has a plot hole, <laughs> and your story is stupid. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? 
But no, seriously, what you could do, how to fix this plot hole. Tony reports the matter to the director of Homeland Security, which is Tom Morrow. They start feeding Ziva fake information. They use McGee to set up her access at NCIS. So when she goes looking for information outside of her casework, she doesn't get accurate information. So all the intelligence that she passes to Mossad is fake. Otherwise, there's no re. Now, you have to figure out why do they want her to do this and why are they keeping her into place? Because the bigger fish is her father. Right. But it would, even that, even that, even if you did that and you had a really good reason for why Tony would already know, it is going to change the dynamic of the team for those four years before right. her espionage is I don't think you could carry it on for four years. I don't either. Because Gibbs would have I to I think it would be better to have Tony figure it out while he's in charge of the team. But then you've got it going on for three years. It's still too. It's still a long time to be. And Masada unless into the fact that the information is bad. Unless he reveals to her. Unless that they reveal her. Um, you throw out the whole fake murder thing that brings Gibbs back, the, the bombing that they tried to blame on her, um, and use this instead. And so by the time Gibbs returns to NCIS, Viva is gone. She's in prison. So Tony is sitting yeah. on the information. He has to do something with it. Um, and they could they could do a sting that lasts. I mean, your story could be about the sting, and it lasts for a couple of months, and maybe Gibbs get back just as it's resolved, and everybody else is just really tired at that point and going, talk to the hand, man. Just talk to the hand. But you can't just have throw that kind of boulder in and then have cannon. Because let's say you wanted the undercover op to actually go on for four years, and you could somehow justify that. You still cannot get away with canon not changing because if Gibbs, McGee, and Tony, three-quarters of the team, are in on Ziva being a spy and are deliberately letting her, feeding false information to her and letting her steal data, if they're all in on that for three years, the, can- the dynamics of the team are going to be different. Number one, There's McGee no does way. not have the skills to keep that facade. No, he really doesn't. Give, so you would have to have it be a really short period of time. You couldn't have it go on three or four years. It's just not possible because McGee couldn't maintain. No. McGee also couldn't keep it from Abby, and Abby can't keep her mouth shut. So um, it would have to be very confined. It would have to be um, – You know, what might be more interesting is that she wasn't, she doesn't start spying for Mossad until after she comes back, after she's held hostage, Um, and and she's trying to get her, she's trying to get back in her father's good graces. But there'd be no reason for her to be held hostage then. 
mean, the whole thing with the espionage and Michael Rivkin, all that was really intricate. It was all very closely tied in to that that whole plot was really, I mean, you could pull the threads apart and knit something else, but in catching Michael Rivkin and what he did in his attack on Tony is when they uncovered that Ziva had been feeding information to Michael and there, and that information was all in her apartment. So um, she wouldn't have been, I don't think she'd have been as, I don't know. I don't, it's weird. It's weird to decouple those. You could decouple those two plot lines, the espionage and Michael. But the reason why Tony went to her, the apartment to talk to her was because they found out about the espionage. He found Michael instead. So it gets, it's a little difficult to pull those two plot lines apart and have her not start spying until after she gets back from um, Somalia. I meant when Vance split the team. Oh, you mean when... Uh, I was got, I got really that, confused when she was talking. I was like, but what if instead of bringing back McGee and Ziva, they bring back Tony and Ziva, and they have a different computer geek, and that computer geek finds out that she's doing something hinky. Yeah, and being work. the good that, little your age that he is, um, he goes to Tony, who's mentoring him, trying to kind of correct the mistakes he made with McGee, and then they go and they have to figure out where to go from there. Yeah. But the thing is, is you have to, you can't just say all can and happen. I've made this major change in the past. It apparently didn't affect anything until six years in. Because um, when you start pulling at that thread and what that means is it means an epic amount of either apathy or incompetence on somebody's part. Somebody's characterization suffers for that kind of failure to account for the consequences of a major change. Um you make one of your characters an unbelievable asshole if you don't watch your ripples. Or potentially I think that's actually one of NCIS's biggest faults is that they do some really fucked up things with Gibbs that they don't account for the ripples and they don't pay attention to what they're doing and they've basically turned um, Gibbs into um, a really treacherous, murderous, unethical asshole. Right. And then at the end of, what was it? Was it the end of season 10, I want to say, when there was that investigation into Gibbs? Um, and a lot of this stuff started coming out, and the whole team quit rather than have to answer questions about Gibbs? That's makes the wrong all kind complicit. of ripple. Right, because now you just made everybody complicit. So... <laughs> um, it's just the thing is that's the thing is when you're when you when you choose not to do anything with the consequences of the change you make, you are sacrificing somebody's pro, either plot or characterization for not do, making that, that account. And so when I'm reading a story and I go, oh my god, this character I like is an unbelievable asshole for knowing this information all these years and not doing anything about it. And I know that wasn't the author's intent. But it is the way it comes across when you – it'd be like having Buffy's mother know about demons and about the whole Slayer calling 
and still patting her on the head and handing her a steak and patting her on the butt when she's 15 years old and go have a nice night, dear. The suspension of disbelief in a the suspension of disbelief in a in like a teenager's going out and handling the night thing like Buffy. Um, it it only works if the parents aren't in on it, right? So I mean, like you make Joyce know when Buffy's fifteen that she's been called to be a slayer and just and be okay suddenly with that. She is the worst mother who ever walked the planet. If that's what you want to do to Joyce, that's fine. But make that choice deliberately. You don't want your readers to just be sitting there horrified that Joyce is the worst mother ever because she knew when Buffy was 15 that that Buffy got called to be a slayer and was just fine with it. And you find, you know, your story starting three or four years later and Joyce has been letting these dirty old men from England use her daughter to fight demons for the last four or five years. It's not cool. I mean, like, seriously, if you want us all to think Joyce is awful, mission accomplished. But if that isn't your intention, don't do that kind of thing. Teenagers tripping off into the night to um, fight vampires or whatever. Vampires, demons, whatever, whichever, whatever the, the thing is. That is, the suspension of disbelief around that is that if they have a loving parent, the loving parent doesn't know. Okay? If they if they if they have like Xander's parents were somewhere between abusive and apathetic, um, and but and Willow's parents were just gone, right? So you could have Xander's parents or you know Xander's parents know, and it doesn't affect anything. They could know about demons and just not care because they never cared anyway. But when you have Joyce not when you have Joyce know and not do anything to protect her daughter, it doesn't matter if her daughter's supernaturally endowed to fight demons or not, you may, you've now done something horrible to Joyce. So you just have to be careful with how you balance a major disturbance in the, in, in, in the, in the back story like that. So. It's a really interesting Mind parenting ripple. moment in The Incredibles um, where uh, she's on the plane with the kids and she's never really let them use their mutant powers and they're about to get hit by a missile, and she's trying to, she's ordering her daughter to use her powers, um, but her daughter can't, because she's never been in a position where she even practiced her powers on a regular basis, and she's been put in an emergency situation where she has to do it, or they're all going to die, and her mom says that to her, we're all going to die if you don't do this. Now, they end up getting out of it, and, you know, they end up um, in the ocean, um, and she takes them to shore. But later, she apologizes to her daughter for um, putting her in that position because it wasn't fair. And she owns up to her mistake that she made in the heat of the moment um, and talked to her child like you know, with respect and say, I'm really sorry I put you in that position. It was, it was, it was just a great parenting moment where she acknowledged that she made a mistake and apologized to her kid. And um, it just brought it home that that they that they had circumstances that they were that were out of their control, and the kids' inability to to do what needed to be done in that moment was it was okay, you know. Yeah. Um, it was so, it was really good. The Incredibles moment. is a fantastic 
movie. But, but that in particular was a really great moment. And it really gave her the confidence she needed that when she really did need her powers, she got them. They came to her and yeah. In the end, she even uses her powers to save her family. So, but yeah, you know. It was good. It, I had never thought about it like that, but it is an example. It really is a really good example of where she's tried to keep the kids from using these abilities because it isn't what they, she was being a responsible parent and not making them use their abilities. But then once they right. were in that life and death situation on the island, she's like, okay, guys, we have to survive this. We're going to go all out. But she also didn't hold it against them that when they couldn't. See, Dash's power is really easy to control, but Violet, Violet didn't have um, the control because she'd never been allowed to practice it. She didn't have the abilities that she needed or the confidence that she needed to, to be in that situation. Um, but I thought that moment where she apologized to, to her daughter was just really powerful. Yeah, it was. So. It was really good. So but that's just, the kind whatever of you're doing boulder in the canon could it could have been fucked up if her if the mom and I forget her name um had not owned up to her behavior on that plane I think it would have been it it, uh, it, uh, it would have had an ugly connotation for me yeah cuz violet was blaming herself um which I doubt is what anybody which I doubt was what her mother wanted she was blaming herself and so her mother did was a good parent uh it was a good moment but if when you're doing whatever you're doing, whatever AU you're doing, we can actually probably talk more about mutant tropes since I don't know that I actually actually talked about many actual tropes. But whatever you're doing, you have to mind the ripple effects. We talk about that in regard to every challenge that you're making changes. You have to figure out what the consequences of the changes you're making. Otherwise, your suspension of disbelief could be shattered or you could be ruining a character that you didn't intend to ruin. Um, and there's some characters we just don't want to see ruined. I would not want to see Joyce um, Summers ruined. <laughs> so I haven't read anybody doing that, but I'm just saying don't. <laughs> don't do it. No. Don't don't make no. don't make Tony a traitor. Don't make Joyce a bad parent. Um, just don't do it. And also, when you make Tony destroy his own career on his way out of NCIS, do you understand the consequences of that? You could go to jail yeah. for blink for releasing classified information to the public. No matter your intentions, you can still go to jail for that. Um, and they probably would put him in jail. Uh, and he point. he would lose his government pension. He would lose. I mean, he would be he would be destitute. He would have a hard time getting another job. Yeah, especially if he were to commit treason. Um, yeah, especially if he reveals classified information. They would they would prosecute him on principle because he's a federal agent. And they're going to make sure that he's not going to get away with that. Uh, 
Mary offered up a trope in the mutant trope. Mutations are commonplace, usually happening around puberty between 13 and 17. Character X is the late bloomer, and something happens to trigger a traumatic mutation. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's definitely a, a, a big trope. Um, I think it actually kind of bled into the Sentinel universe as well, with characters coming into their gifts late or, you know, into adulthood um, unexpectedly. Yeah. I do that a lot. With, I, that's a, that's the trope I use a lot with that as characters. Because I do think when it comes to coming into abilities that a younger mind, a younger brain is, is more elastic, for lack of a better word. Um, and it makes more sense to me that especially guys, and even settles me, if you're 40 or 50 and you're really, like, settled in life, you know, you're mid, middle of your life, how easy is it going to be for you to adapt to suddenly smelling everything? So I tend to think or annoying when your neighbor takes where, a fart. Yeah. I mean, it's, I tend to make coming online something that happens to people in their late teens up to maybe 30, because I do think it's an easier time of adapting. Um, and, and from a, um, evolutionary perspective I think that that's the way it would have worked out but I do tend to write characters that are older than that so I do use that trope a lot that somebody coming online later in life but that actually could be a really interesting trope to explore the idea of you have something that usually if people are going to come into whatever their ability is like let's say people have abilities or something and, and they're going to come into it at a certain point in life um, and and you writing a character who didn't? They're one of the ones who don't. And then you you're writing the event like maybe the mother boxes come together, and it maybe breaks that open for people, or whatever event. It would have to be some cataclysmic event, or or even something that could be individually traumatic. Like I don't know what kind of individually traumatic thing might trigger mutation, huh? I do plan to do a how dare you kind of thing. But you know what would be really cool? If someone mutated, instead of being all angsty, right, they'd be like, hell yes. <laughs> this is amazing. I love it. <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Did you ever watch True Blood? Yeah. During, I didn't do the, the whole second series, season. but... No, me neither. I gave it up after. I, actually, I stopped watching it when Bill cheated on Snooki. But um, because I have to think about that. Bill, it, it Bill cheated on Snooki. Yeah. Oh, I and did not know that. Watching. I didn't. I didn't know that. Well, eventually he even leaves her, and she ends up married to a regular person. Bill dies at the end of True Blood in the in the series. I don't know what happens in the books. Um. Well, he cheated on sorry. her, so I'm not too sad. Fuck him. Yeah. Fuck him. Um. He cheated on her with his maker, the woman who forced him to become a vampire. Anyway, um, anyway, um, there's a scene where Bill is being punished for killing another vampire for what they, the, for, for what the sheriff decided was a, a problem. They didn't, that he didn't agree with it. And so um, he has to make a new vampire. And they bring him this, this human girl and he has to make her. And, um, you know, Bill's all angsty and shit. Bill was like the original, like, angsty vampire. Vampire Bill was just full of the angst, right? So they give him this teenage girl. And, um, 
he bites her and you know they, they bury her and she wakes up and she and then they, he, he tells her that she's now a vampire and she's like so I can never go home and he's like yeah and she has a party <laughs> she's so excited hell yeah like, <laughs> it's like this is amazing this is awesome. But then there was that whole thing with that regrowing hymen that I found a little... That was some bullshit. I'm sorry, what? what? The girl. Uh, I forget her name. She eventually loses her um, re- um, virginity to some sweet boy who... Um, but her hymen grows back. Oh, come on now. Every time. Her hymen grows back every time she has sex. And I was like, that's some bullshit. Perpetually a virgin the rest of her life. The rest of her eternal life. Anyway. That's just... <clears throat> I would be... <laughs> but she was she was super excited to be um, a vampire until that whole virginity thing came up. <laughs> Blech. But yeah, yeah it would you be could have a character. character who was like, "Okay, hell yeah!" <laughs> it's like, "Oh, this is amazing! Look what I can do!" Let's see what this motherfucker can do. It's like getting into a brand new sports car. Hell yeah! <laughs> you could write this. This would be kind of cracky, but you could have a character who, like, were like Inhumans or mutants or whatever it is you're writing about are trying to stay under the radar, right? They're trying to hide. And you have a character who comes into some kind of outrageous, really epically powerful abilities. And like it's going on talk shows, like, look what I can do. Isn't this amazing? And they're, they're public he's full, profiles. He's like full Tony Stark in it. <laughs> right. And their public profile is so Man. big that the government doesn't dare touch them because they're like have a bazillion followers on Instagram and maybe they post (laughs) pictures of their wings all the time. And like, Hey, just flying out over the top of the world, you know, uh, over the cross top of the Chrysler building today. Isn't this so cool? And the government's like, we can't pull this guy off the street. Yeah. Leave him alone. (laughs) (laughs) It would be great. It would be so fantastic. I would love the hell out of it. Um, but yeah, you know, always there's that there's that trope that they're that they're miserable and um that they hate it and they would do anything to get like Scott. Yeah. They're they're all Scott. You know, it would be really great if it had been um Styles that got bitten and he was like all in. I love this. Fuck it. But oh, dude, you smell. <laughs> Take a shower, for fuck's sake. No, I'm not going to the cross team. I'm never going into the boys' locker room again. <laughs> they all need to take a shower. I mean, that's a little bit strange. You have a bunch of teenage werewolves who spend. I mean, and the thing they all want to do is go play lacrosse, which means they're all going to get sweaty and gross. With their teammates, are going to sweating gross, and then they take their super sensitive noses and they all hang out in the boys' locker room together. It's like, all right, that makes sense. Maybe, maybe they like the way that smells. Ew, gross! 
No, I can't. I can't be grossed out like that right now. I'm just saying. Do you ever watch Porky's? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things in my life I've read, but I saw it. You ever Kim Cattell's character who got turned on by the smell of jack jock straps? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <sighs> and they called her Lassie. Because <laughs> she howled when she had sex. <sighs> the best part about that is that dude didn't stop. He just put a pair of socks in her mouth and kept going. <laughs> yeah, Claire, that's exactly yeah. what Scott was like. He was like, I hate this. Watch me become a class expert and get a pretty girlfriend and become popular. Being a werewolf is bad. Whoa. Um, that was exactly what he was like. And he got all those things because he was a werewolf, and yet all he did the whole season, the whole series was whine about being a werewolf. So if anybody who deserves to be unwerewolfed, it's Scott. He wolfed, unwolfed. That's not a mutation. <laughs> so, hmm. Although my favorite part breed. was when Bob Breaker or Bob Bricker, whatever her name was, tried to get the principal <laughs> to do the dick lineup, <laughs> and they were making fun <laughs> of her. And have you seen this pecker? <laughs> <laughs> I cannot watch that without. Fucking laughing my ass off. Oh my god, have you seen this pecker? The <laughs> new <he> wanted poster. <laughs> oh, that was bracing. Oh, I just dumped about oh, a cup of ice water down my shirt. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm awake now. <laughs> oh. But, yeah, so, you know, tropes. I hate the whiny trope. I hate the trope where they spend, like, half the story, you know, accepting who they are. You know, have some fucking self-esteem. Man up. Yeah. Let your boot drop. This is the way it is. Do it. I think one of the things, you know, just as a side side note here, one of the things that I think most annoys me in female stories is, Huh. I think that spider's far. I think no. I think that spider's far enough for me that I don't need to worry about it now. <laughs> but I'm going to be watching it for the rest of the podcast. Okay. Um. I need to change my position. <laughs> um. I think one of the things that annoys me the most Text about your sister to come get it. <laughs> she's watching Stargate. I'm, you're not going to rouse her from watching that unless there was like a tarantula in here. In which case, if there was a tarantula in here, I'd be screaming my head off, and I would not be on the podcast anymore. Um, <laughs> no, I'd mute you. <laughs> but I'd be worried. But uh, the um, no, one thing that annoys me is, like, the whiny Scott angle is, like, everybody just keeps tolerating it again. I'm like, uh, like, the author puts in the whiny Scott thing for, like, 50K, and it, Everybody just keeps putting up with whiny Scott. They're like, oh, Scott, you know, we're drifting apart. You know, we're not, I just can't be around you. And yet continue to keep trying. It's like, at what point do you not keep putting up enabling the wine? Um, 
<laughs> because I, I didn't want to watch whiny Scott. So it's difficult to read a team wall story where Scott whines for a hundred thousand words. I didn't and, get through the pilot of that show because of whiny Scott. That's all I've ever watched. I've watched like 25 minutes of the pilot. I've seen several episodes now in part because I have to forward through every time Scott gets sanctimonious or whining about his, you know, <laughs> making. So you've watched like what, 20 minutes total of the whole series? <laughs> That's what it feels like. I mean, it's like I've, you know, watched, put on multiple episodes and I just keep fast forwarding, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward to get to the scene that I need. And, and if Scott has to talk in it, I just like, okay, fine. Um, but he's just, he's just so annoying with, it's like, this is the way it is, dude. Just accept it and move on. Make the best of it. Um, I don't know. He's also a major hypocrite. I have a real problem with, with characters being lauded and, and people enabling somebody to be hypocritical. Um, Gibbs. Yeah, exactly. Gibbs is exactly like that. But Scott, I mean, he was so angry at um, uh, Derek and Peter, who did a fraction of the wrongs that the Argent family did, including Allison. And yet Scott felt like that everybody deserved a second chance, unless their last name was Hale, apparently. I mean, he didn't actually come out and say that, but he was always so judgmental about Derek and Peter and their actions and behaviors. And yet he just thought everybody should give Allison a do-over after she helped torture, that she captured by shooting full of arrows, Wolfsbane arrows, that she captured Erica and Boyd, and then they helped her grandfather torture them. So I'm just not seeing... I, I, the left, that, just, that level of hypocrisy really disturbs me, especially when everybody just kind of nods their heads and is okay with it in, in a show. But see, this is something we need to talk about because it destroys characterization. And so this is why it's important that you keep track of your ripples and your and your consequences and have your characters own and acknowledge them. And if they make mistakes, to not repeat them. Like that scene in The Incredibles that we talked about with the mom um, and Violet, that she made a mistake and she acknowledged it and she apologized. And she really focused on making sure that her daughter's mental health was was addressed, you know, mm-hmm. that she acknowledged that her daughter was, um, you know, Violet is actually, I think she's clinically depressed in that movie. Um, she has really low self-esteem. She, um, her confidence is, is practically zero. And in the moment when her mother needed her most, she couldn't perform. And so, but her mom acknowledged that and, um, acknowledged her own role in creating that situation um and so that's just really it's just really good characterization and i know it's a cartoon but one of the reasons why the incredibles is so good is because its characterization is on point yeah also, it is also no point. yeah yeah i agree i i i watched that episode in late season two um the Scott, the stuff Scott set up for Derek, just that what he was willing to do to Derek, 
uh, without Derek's consent, using Derek as, as bait for Gerard Argent of all people. It didn't matter that Scott had been poisoning Gerard Argent. Consider what the Argents had done to the Hales, that he set that up without Derek's permission, using Derek that way, was just enforcing Derek to bite and give. Because werewolves think of the bite as a gift. So to take Derek, who thinks of the bite as a gift, and make him bite an Argent is about the most disgusting thing I think that they could have done in that show. I think you're right, Claire, to call it rape. It, it, it was definitely a form of rape. It was rife with consent issues. Um, yeah, have you seen Maleficent? Of course. That The wing thing, that... Uh, I uh, cried in the theater. I wasn't I the only one. My mom was in tears, too. And um, I came home, and I was talking to my husband about it. He said, well, how'd you, lo- how'd you like it? I said, I loved it, except for the rape scene. And he said, what? He said there was a rape in Disney? I explained it to him, and he was was horrified. Scream when she realized what he'd done to her. It's probably the best best acting I've seen from Angelina Jolie ever. She's not a favorite actress of mine anyway, and I was a little ambivalent about Maleficent, but I loved the movie. But that scene, I I wished in some ways, even though I loved seeing it on the big screen, I wished I'd been at home so that I could have had a sanity break. When she needed a pause with her without her wings, yeah, I needed I needed an emotional reset moment. I needed I need a hug <laughs> because that was so intense. Her reaction to waking up and not having her so wings. No, I don't I don't think Scott or Allison are very redeemable in um, Team Wolf Cannon. They're um, they're both um, they're both terrible. If you don't recognize somebody else's bodily consent, you're not a good person. You're just not. No. And I have I've been I've been working on um one of the two projects I've been working on lately is the second novella in the in the Come to Jesus verse. And um I mean the whole verse really is basically Tony just dealing with shit, right? So he has to deal with one of the things, one of the big things early on is dealing with Scott and his reaction to Allison leaving and his stubbornness. Um, and when Styles finds out what Scott did to Derek, it, Tony's the one who brings it out, but it's Styles who loses his shit. He just loses his mind over that, that that was Scott's plan and that he forced that on Derek. He gets so angry. Um, and I needed to have that moment where Styles gets fed up and gets really angry at Scott because I was having a hard time um, with Styles being on board with what Tony ultimately decided to do about Scott. And so that was, I needed to have that moment where Styles just gets enraged and kind of goes, that's it, I'm done. I, I, I don't even know what to say to you. All you do is sit here and whine and bitch about everything that's happened to you and that you would do something like that to someone else that is just so much more disgusting than anything that's ever been done to you. I can't even deal with it. Because I need him to be okay with Tony sending him away. So I didn't want there to be tension between Tony and Styles. I need their relationship to be solid. 
So that was the mechanism that I decided to deal with with that was to have Styles get, you know, enraged on somebody else's behalf. I do I do think that Scott is worse than Peter because Peter's crazy. Yeah. Peter especially in the first couple seasons, I think he was saner when he came back when his body was regenerated or whatever because he had to have been magically somehow um whatever happened that brought him back at the very end of was that season two um his body had burned up i mean he he was resurrected in some magical fashion so i i don't think whatever insanity he had going on before he was killed came back with him i think he was still an asshole but i think that he was less crazy but i think especially season one season two he was he was he was literally um uh, what's that legal term diminished capacity there would be a strong case yeah. in the court for diminished capacity because he was completely batshit insane. And everything he did, except for killing his own niece, which you could even make a case for why uh, even killing her made sense. But other than that, everything was basically punishing the people who had murdered his family. So Peter was much less obnoxious. His his actions were much less egregious um, than the Argent Scots were, or Scott and the Argents. Yeah, because Scott was all in on the Argents. He was just like, "Oh, the Argents are wonderful," even though even though Victoria Argent kept trying to kill him. Because when it boils right down to it, Scott hates himself for what he became. Yeah, he did. He and he, he would used have Derek that way to punish somebody, and and Derek was the most available werewolf he had to punish. Well, Scott is a dick, but <laughs> but yeah, I only watched like half the pilot because I just couldn't stand Scott. From the moment I was like, I was really pissed because I loved the movie, the Teen Wolf movie. I thought it was great, really funny. Um, yeah, and the car stuffing was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they did that, and I was like, what? No, no. What are you doing here? Well, why why have I mean clearly the audience fell in love with Styles and Derek more than not even as a pairing probably, but just the individual characters, both Styles and Derek and even Peter were more compelling as a main character than Scott was. Scott was just irritating. If they were gonna fuck up the whole movie canon, why didn't they just make Derek the Teen Wolf? Born Teen Wolf. Yeah. This is bad writing. It would, it would it would have even been more interesting with Jackson as the Teen Wolf, I and mean, he was a complete douchebag. So, I mean, the thing is, the things they had Scott do, and and I'm sure the writers thought that they were doing a good thing because they were really, you know. They really thought that they were trying to keep the spotlight on Scott, and I, I don't know why. I, I don't know why. Why? What's his face? Jeff? What's his face? That's such a boner for Tyler Posey, but um, they were trying to make sure that focus stayed on that character. And 
but they had they did some really bizarre things to try to ensure that that happened. Um, to, to to the character's detriment, like turning him into a a, a raping douchebag like that in the end of season two was what he did to Derek. said the writers went to the NCIS School of Character Consequences. <laughs> I.e. none. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's just super annoying. It, it really is to see, um, you know, sometimes, and this is really ugly, but I'm going to say it anyway, sometimes I see an idea and I'm like, oh, I click on it. And then I think, oh, I wish somebody competent had had it. And sometimes I just think, you know, I wish somebody who could handle their dialogue mechanics had this idea. I right, I know right. Two, at least, yeah, at least two stories in the last couple of days. People who cannot put handle the quotation marks correctly around dialogue. You know what? Uh, it drives me crazy. Really is actually really good about dialogue mechanics for the most part. There is no excuse for crappy dialogue mechanics because Grammarly can be your best friend if that's a problem for you. It it won't help people who don't know how to how do a running a running running dialogue, where the dialogue no. is more than one paragraph. Uh, honestly, people but but people use no quotes. Thing. They'll have like a fifteen paragraph monologue and there's no quote marks anywhere. I'm like, I can't deal with this shit. I can't deal with it. Stop hurting our feelings. No. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't do this if there have been times I've been tempted to respond to, like, leave feedback that isn't, you know, giving them positive feedback and not give any kind of criticism, just give them a link to, like, a Writer's Digest article that explains the thing that they aren't doing well. (laughs) (laughs) Like, here's the Writer's Digest article on dialogue mechanics. (laughs) This is really entertaining, link to Writer's Digest. <laughs> That's some passive aggressive shit right there. But you know what? Though? Yeah. I mean, we all learn by doing. So continue to do and you will improve. But also read good writing and read books on your craft. Even if you never intend to be a an original professional, you know, go the pro route. It is um you owe yourself and the writer that you should be next year, the time. Mm-hmm. So read your craft books. Read the craft articles that we post on the writer's table. Um, pay attention to good writers um, when they talk, when they when they post stuff. Just, just pay attention and learn. Because you owe that writer you're going to be next year that consideration. Yeah, I agree. I mean, our... I tried reading this writer where all of their plurals are written as possessives. I don't mean one or two. I mean all of them. Uh, and if, if once you've written 100, 150, 200,000 words, you need to start being able to fix that shit. You know, you need to – this tells me you're not reading people who do this right. And you're not investing yourself in your craft. It's a hobby, yes, but respect your hobby. Respect your ideas and – Respect your creativity and respect the talent that you've been given to create. You just just respect it. 
So that's our show over the night. We got 51 seconds left, um, and I have to, um, I have to pee. So we're gonna go. <laughs> Say good night, Julie. <laughs> good night, everyone. <laughs>